crisis in our backyard. numbers of migrant landings like we've never seen. This is really stretching our resources to have to respond. A surge of desperate people by sea and by land. There are laws to get here illegally. The president and a plot twist. They attempt to cross into the United States unlawfully. They'll be returned back to Mexico and will not be eligible for this program after that. Our immigration system is broken, outdated, and in desperate need of reform. The pushback. This is a, a cruel and, and inhumane uh, practice that, that needs to stop. Plus the reporters on the front lines. South Florida at the center of the biggest news of the week, all live this week in South Florida. Good Sunday morning, I'm Glenna Milberg, and as we come on the air with you today, first responders are again at locations where more people, more boats are coming ashore this morning in Hallandale Beach and in the Keys. Also, as we speak, President Biden is in the air en route to the southern border days after announcing dramatic policy change that boils down to this. Cubans, Haitians, Nicaraguans and Venezuelans who cross the border without legal process are turned around. And for those who use legal processes, more and smoother opportunities. Left unsaid whether the hundreds of Cubans and Haitians making it by sea to South Florida shores in the last few weeks will face that same fate. This is live video you're looking at from Hallandale Beach. That vessel right there was discovered on shore within the last few hours. We are waiting to see whether the people who might have been on that boat are okay and where they are. You see the response right now, and we will get to that. These drone images are from the Keys, where right now they are dealing with two landings just within the last few hours. A year-long surge there has peaked this week with hundreds of people making it almost daily landings in the neighborhoods there. That sets up our hour together here. And right now, Janine Stanwood right there in the Keys has been all week on the front lines of that response. And Janine, you are already busy there this morning. Already busy this morning, Glenna. In fact, this is the Border Patrol station here in Marathon. They have been busy here as well, and you said it. That's right. This morning, already two landings here in the Florida Keys, about 50 migrants coming to shore. And you know, after the governor's announcement the other day about sending state resources here, we were wondering, when will we start seeing that? I can tell you, the time is now. Let's go to video from just a short time ago. This is more of that drone video that you were looking at. This is a group of about 25 migrants that landed in a remote island in Marathon, Border Patrol on scene. But take a look for the first time. We also now see state troopers. That was the case at another landing this morning in Key Largo. Uh, I am told uh, another uh, approximately 25 people landed there and state troopers were there as well. I'm told at least one of those troopers was from Miami Dade. We can tell you that the feds, they're also beefing things up. Let's show you some pictures. This is the chief of Border Patrol for the Miami sector. This is Walter Slozar. He met yesterday right here in Marathon with the head of special ops operations support. Border Patrol is telling us that they are bringing in more special ops staff and more medical personnel. And another photo actually shows 
This is a very South Florida thing. These are wave runners. More of them will be deployed so that agents can go to migrants in shallow or remote areas. You're wondering, gosh, I've never seen a Border Patrol agent on a wave runner or a jet ski. I can tell you we have been on one of those as they have rescued migrants here in the Middle Keys. Glenna, let's come back out live. As you have said, this has been quite a week here in the Florida Keys. The question is, what more are we going to see? There is going to be a meeting this uh, Monday morning in Marathon, 1130 state, local and federal authorities will be meeting to discuss this plan, how they will coordinate and hopefully we will learn more then. Of course, we'll be there. And Janine, you'll be back later this hour along with Hatzel Vela. We'll get into a lot more of this later on right now. Uh, a little bit more about why we may be seeing those state resources in the Keys late Friday. The governor issued an executive order activating Florida's National Guard to assist Monroe County, declaring a state of emergency and naming the point person for that, Kevin Guthrie, Florida's Director of Emergency Management. Director Guthrie is right here with us live today. Director, great to have you aboard this morning. I know you are so so busy. We are grateful for your time. Thank you for having us this morning. Appreciate it. So you've made quite the pivot. You are still in the throes of hurricane recovery around the state set set up for us now. I know it's just we're still in the weekend. You just got the orders. What is this operation going to look like? What are your marching orders in the keys? So as you mentioned, the governor has uh, designated me as the state coordinating officer. So my job is not to be the command and control piece. Uh, that's going to be more for law enforcement and the National Guard, but I am the coordination piece. So I am helping the agencies that are responding to this uh, this incident. Uh, court, I'm coordinating that. So at Florida Department of Law Enforcement, Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission, Florida Highway Patrol, as you mentioned in the top of the segment, um, Florida National Guard, also Department of Children's and Families and the Florida Department of Health for their offices of refugee health. So um, those agencies and in conjunction with Florida Division of Emergency Management, our primary role is going to be providing logistics to those uh, aforementioned agencies as they get up and running and uh, set up shop there in the Keys. And then literally throughout pretty much the southeastern portion of Florida, as you mentioned this morning, the Hallandale Beach situation. So this is not just a Keys issue. It's going to be uh, We've had uh, a landing a couple of weeks ago as far north as Port Canaveral. So this is going to be a statewide um, approach and we'll respond to it as we need to uh, throughout the state. You know, I'm glad you bring that up because the, the executive order, we actually have the governor's executive order on our website for whoever wants to read that and has not. But, but one of the things that the executive order says is that this is likely co to constitute a major disaster. And the governor declared then a state of emergency for the whole state, to your point, the whole state of Florida. You know, our viewers, we, we are a, a South Florida station and we have viewers from Boca to Key West and we have people watching who may be in cities like Parkland or Miami Gardens. Set up for us, Director, if you will, how does this constitute an emergency for the whole state, for the whole of South Florida? So the Florida Division of Emergency Management is the lead agency for the state of Florida when it comes to coordinating and, and um, intersecting with the U.S. Coast Guard. And uh, you've heard uh, Brendan McPherson, Admiral for Coast Guard District 7. He is the commanding officer for what's referred to as Homeland Security Task Force Southeast. The Florida Division of Emergency Management and all the agencies that I mentioned earlier are a part of that Homeland Security Task Force Southeast as well. We've actually been working uh, with the Coast Guard since the summer um, on the uptick of things that have happened recently. Uh, as we reported out to the governor, the things that were going on, the, uh, the additional uh, heavy landings that we had over the January 1st holiday, 
um, in addition with the uh, president's uh, announcement on the 30,000 uh, refugees coming to uh, the United States, not necessarily to the state of Florida. The governor made that decision and his leadership, he uh, brought those agencies together and said, we're gonna respond to this. We're going to do what's best for Florida. But again, it is a whole Florida. I mean, there, there are individuals that are going um, as far north into uh, Orlando area uh, that are released. Uh, so we know we know that people are going to, their target destinations are typically Orlando, Central Florida, and also obviously Southeast Florida, specifically Miami-Dade. And is that because they have relatives or sponsors, people they know, I would imagine? That's, uh, that's, that's the... That's correct. That's the information and intelligence we're getting is that, yes, they have relatives, friends, family that are in those areas. So part of what the president had talked about is the, the people who are going to be eligible to stay must, according to his plan, must have those kind of sponsors or family members or someone. Um, kind of my read on it was specifically to care for them financially and with the resources. Um, and if you extrapolate that out, it's so that they are not a, um, a burden, so to speak, on, on state resources or federal resources. So uh, you have nothing really, though, to do, or your people have nothing to do with trying to figure that part out, do you? No, we, we don't have anything to do with that part. What we are designed to do, and you know, I, I believe this is very important for all Floridians to know, is the governor and the Florida National Guard and those law enforcement agencies and health and human service agencies for the state of Florida are first and foremost to take care of Floridians. And we are going to do that. Um, we're going to attempt to uh, supplement the uh, United States Coast Guard and help them on identifying and targeting vessels uh, that are coming here illegally and are not a part of a some type of legal or sponsored program. That is what we're out there trying to do. So uh, that that is our primary objective. That's our primary mission, and that is to protect the coastal waters of the state of Florida through uh, the state of emergency and uh, local de or I'm sorry, state declaration. And the part of the executive order that activates the Florida National Guard, it, it, are you coordinating the National Guard as well, or is that a, a separate component? Yeah, so we are coordinating the Florida National Guard. So when we activate the Florida National Guard and the law enforcement agencies, for instance, we, myself, uh, Mark Glass, the commissioner of FDLE, uh, the TAG, the adjutant general, uh, James Eifert, we work together. In fact, we had a call just yesterday uh, where we coordinate um, our efforts and make sure that you know we're all on the same sheet of music and that we are working and providing information and intelligence back to the U.S. Coast Guard. Again, our goal is, and the governor's goal, um, is to identify uh, people that are coming to the United States, specifically Florida, illegally, and then vector those, uh, vector that information back over to the Coast Guard and then have Coast Guard cutters or Coast Guard boats head to that and intercept that vessel that's coming here illegally. So it is fair to say that state and federal resources are coordinated and working together. Would that be valid? Yes, and, and we do that all the time. And, I, you know, I don't want that to sound foreign. If you remember back to Surfside a year and a half ago, federal, state, and gover uh, local government came together bipartisan and worked through things. As we had Hurricane Ian, as we had Hurricane Nicole, you know, the Florida Division of Emergency Management is a bipartisan agency. We are here to serve the Floridians of the state of Florida, no matter what the issue is and what their need is. The governor's leadership you know, he has done a lot of bipartisan work in the public safety arena, and he will continue to do a lot of bipartisan work in the public safety arena. But again, what's first and foremost to the governor, myself, and the agency heads that are working this is the safety of all Floridians. That's what's first and foremost. Director, I have two more questions, and we are up against a break. Can I, uh, will you indulge me to stick around for just a couple more minutes, and we'll come right back? Absolutely. Great, thanks.
Stay with us. We are back talking with Kevin Guthrie, who is the director of Florida's Division of Emergency Management, and more immediately this morning, for our purposes, the point person for new state directives and helping the Florida Keys all up the coast, the entire state of Florida, in this unfolding migrant disaster. Director Guthrie, um, I wanted to just go back to something we were talking about, the Florida National Guard activation. Specifically, in the governor's executive order, it suggests that there will be air support and some water support, uh, Florida Fish and Wildlife component to support them. Does this mean, it, this sort of suggests a focus that the um, National Guard will be looking to interdict? Does, is that fair? No. No. So the Florida National Guard is dedicated to Lakota helicopters to Key West. Those, one of those helicopters is already on station uh, and will be working uh, hours that uh, plug into the state of Florida's air flight schedule. I'm not exactly sure or when they're going to be actually up and flying. But nevertheless, they are going to be a part of that state ongoing mission. There's one fixed wing aircraft from the Florida Highway Patrol, from uh, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission, and two additional helicopters as of right now from the uh, Florida National Guard. All of those aircraft are designed to do one thing, and that is just to detect. And then we will radio those coordinates into both the U.S. National Guard, or I'm sorry, the U.S. Coast Guard, and to the Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission surface uh, vessels that are there in the Keys. So that is what their, jo their job is and their role is. Right now, it's just the two helicopters. It is a planning unit. There is a possibility that if the FWC needs additional you know, hands on the boats, uh, that we may use the Florida National Guard for that. But right now, that has not been decided. Um, and we're you know, we'll, we'll find out about that more in the coming weeks. And so that would be a, a turnover situation. Your intel, that intelligence goes to Coast Guard or Border Patrol or, or whoever takes it from there. Right. We, we want to give that information to the United States Coast Guard. They are the lead agency. They are the agency uh, that is charged with protecting uh, the United States um, coastline. So we will provide, if we find or see something in the water, we'll investigate it. Um, we will then turn those coordinates over to the uh, U.S. Coast Guard and have them respond to the area and take lead jurisdictional authority. So some, I want to go back to something you said earlier in the first block. We we're talking about how the governor and the state is taking a real role in what is typically a federal issue uh, because of the impact to the state of Florida. And um, the relocation of Venezuelans last fall but with state resources from the border to Martha's Vineyard to Massachusetts, that really put a spotlight on a new state plan and policy to be able to take uh, migrants who land illegally and transport them out of state using state resources. The money is there for it. Um, do you know, has there been any sort of eye toward the people coming in now, relocating those people to other states? What can you tell us about that? Yeah, what I can tell you is I have not been involved in those conversations. That money is over at the Florida Department of Transportation, and that program is run by the Florida Department of Transportation. And you will notice that I did not list them in the list of agencies that are involved in this uh, particular um, incident. Um, you also notice that while uh, the governor calls out that I can uh, have any agency assist, there is no specific direction in the executive order for the Florida Department of Transportation like there is, for example, in the Florida National Guard. So again, I would have to turn you over to Secretary Purdue for any comment on that. But at this point in time, the Department of Transportation is not involved in this particular um, uh, incident that we're working right now.
Okay, great. We absolutely will be following up on that. Um, lastly, real quickly, a lot of people know that Florida had sent a lot of resources to help Texas and what Texas was going through with the border issues. Uh, spent some money, a lot of man and woman power. Are you going to expect Governor Abbott in Texas and the state of Texas to be reciprocating, returning the favor, sending in resources for Florida? I will say right now, um, I did talk to Nim Kidd, who is uh, my counterpart over in Texas, just to check in and see how they were doing um, after the hurricane season, as, as well as any mass migration, um, you know, best practices, if you will. Uh, but, you know, Nim and his team are fully engaged at the southwest border. I do not believe that uh, the Texas Department of Public Safety will um, be able to send us any resources right now, because obviously we're, we're seeing numbers in the thousands. They're seeing numbers in the hundreds of thousands and millions. So I, I would not expect the Texas Department of Public Safety or the Texas Division of Emergency Management to send people over here. I will say this, that Nim Kidd and his team did send us personnel for Hurricane Ian, um, and they, they sent about 30 people, give or take, to us to help us out with that response. So again, they have reciprocated through Hurricane Ian. I don't necessarily think they'll be able to reciprocate through this particular event that we're working now. Understood. Still unfolding. Director Guthrie, so much on your plate, and we are so grateful that you spent some minutes with us today, and uh, you know we'll be hounding you a little bit in the next uh, week or so. Thanks again. Right. Thank you. And up next, the congressman who reps the Florida Keys and is also on the Homeland Security Committee. We will talk with Carlos Jimenez about the president's new plan for those at the border. We are still connecting with the congressman via Zoom, so stay tuned for that. But today, we are launching a new segment on This Week in South Florida. We're going to call it the Reporter Debrief with our colleagues here at Local 10 who are immersed in covering stories. You have insights and context and behind-the-scenes moments to share. And this unfolding migrant crisis in our backyard is just the beginning. So first up, at the table, Hatzel Vela has covered especially Cuba immigration issues literally for years. Yes. And uh, some of those years spent manning Local 10's Havana Bureau. Janine Stanwood has reported on the front row of border crossings by land, sea, and air as recently as, as you know, right now. <laughs> and so, Janine, we miss you kind of at the table today, but uh, okay, we're all together. And it's, I think it's such a great opportunity for viewers to be able to hear what you all have seen. So. Janine, since you're there, let's start with you. I mean, you're, you're working this morning. There are landings this morning. Um, the troopers that now have been there for the first time, state troopers, give me a sense of like that coordination that we heard Kevin Guthrie talk about. Are you, are you seeing the coordination firsthand? Well, there, there's always been coordination with state and local and federal authorities here on the ground. Uh, from what I understand, these troopers will be here because they do have the authority to detain. So I would imagine that the troopers are here on scene. They can detain these migrants if they need to until Border Patrol agents are able to come and get them. As you know, uh, local law enforcement, Monroe County Sheriff's Office, they've also been helping with U.S. Border Patrol, but they're also the local cops here. So if there's a shooting or if there's a medical call, they need to go to that too. And so this is just sort of an extra asset, uh, I think, that is here for the authorities dealing with the surge of migration. Yeah, the, and the, the surge that has peaked this week, but has certainly the numbers we've seen, we've been reporting, Hatzel, you've been reporting on the numbers. Um, Cubans and Haitians, 
mainly are arriving on our shores. That's a no-brainer, the trajectory over the ocean. Hatzel, why, why now are we seeing those numbers? We've all been reporting on the waves over the years, over the decades for some of us, of um, surges, but why now? Well, I mean, let's go back to 2019. I mean, this is no surprise that we're seeing specifically with the Cubans, right? We had that island-wide protest that we saw, and that sort of started uh, things going. But let's remember, even prior to that, we had issues on the island already because when I was there in 2019, they had scarcities when it came to gas and food. The Trump administration policies were already affecting the economy on the island, given that there was less tourism. And so you saw this sort of mounting situation situation before 2019, 2019 sort of becomes the central point. You're talking economic situation. Yes. And then as we move into 2020, of course, the big one, right? The pandemic, which sort of mm. exacerbated everything on the island. And that started pushing people to leave, of course, by way of Nicaragua, because we know what Nicaragua did, allowing Cubans to come there. Border, you're talking about yes. the border. And then make their way up to the Mexican border. So we're gonna talk a lot, I wanna bring Janine back in here, because we're gonna talk a lot about the actual nationality of people coming has been a real focus um, at the border, and we'll talk with the congressman a little bit about the president's new plan, but Janine, when, when you see these agents and Coast Guards men and women, and even, you know, people, uh, troopers now, do they ask, what's your nationality, where are you from, and then is the treatment any different from, it, from whatever the answer might be? No. Initially, when they make contact with these migrants, um, whether it's an interdiction at sea, because they are happening, it's not just landings that are coming here, uh, Customs and Border Protection AMO agents are interdicting people at sea. Whether that's happening, whether they're coming here, first and foremost, the agents are just making sure that they're okay. A lot of them are trained DMTs, they have water, uh, they have uh, uh, blankets and things if need be. Then, uh, once they do that, um, and they sort of make sure that everything is good and there are no weapons, and things like that, they take them here to the Border Patrol Station, typically if there's room. Lately, it's been a little crowded uh, because of what's been happening. Uh, and, and then, yes, um, a lot of times then they're asked uh, if, if, you know, wh why they're coming here. And many of the Cubans will fill out uh, what's called a credible fear claim. And they fill out this paperwork. And if they have family that they can go to, and after they're fingerprinted, if there's no criminal history, many times they are then released to family here in South Florida. So, Hatzel, because of the Cuban-American Adjustment Act and um, various layers of policies and maybe more subtle, not such written policies, you know, the fact that someone comes from the Castro dictatorship is an automatic stay in many ways. And, and that has a lot of levels, but it, it's kind of been a, a special law for Cubans since the 60s. The exile community here, many who came in the 60s, were political refugees. The people who are coming now and, and you know, arguably since the 90s will tell you themselves, it's not politics driving, but the economy and wanting to do better and have opportunities. So how does that work now that the that the president says Cubans and everyone else just 
go back if they're illegally here. What's interesting, and the same question that we keep getting is, what happens to these folks coming by sea? Because remember, before we used to have wet foot, dry foot, which allowed them to get parole as soon as they touch land. Not so much anymore. In fact, I was talking to a is, friend is that, of mine. That's over. Yeah, that's over. And yeah. so I was talking to my friend Willie Allen, the great attorney, the immigration attorney, who says if they arrive by sea now, now they're giving deportation orders. What does that mean? That means that now they have to fight. They have to file for asylum and fight to stay. They're not automatically guaranteed to stay, which, which means a lot of the folks that we're seeing coming at, from the Keys, uh, it, it's going to be tough for them because they have to. That's the law for everybody. That's right. That's yeah, right. Everyone can ask for asylum that's from right. wherever they are. And so that changes the dynamics for Cubans. Um, however, we did see uh, so many Cubans, close to 300, reach the southern border. That's been different right. because some folks there have been given parole, which sets them at a different uh, situation than the ones coming uh, by sea. So I, I'm going to guess that politically speaking, that's going to be, if it isn't already, that's going to really be a focus for a lot of people, especially in our town. Janine, the, um, the president's order specifically, it seems like, talks about people crossing the border. It doesn't say anything about coming by sea. And in fact, part of the directive is to uh, the government of Mexico has agreed to take back 30,000 people who might have been crossing illegally, turned around and returned, Cubans, Haitians, uh, Nicaraguans, Venezuelans. So does this order or how does this order apply to people coming by sea or does it? Has anyone there? It doesn't really seem like it does. Yeah. At all. Right. It doesn't seem like it does. And everybody with whom we've spoken says it seems like that is just having to do with the land border and maybe the congressman can address that here in our sea border because remember this is a border town as well our border is the coastline and that's what has been patrolled and we have followed those patrols since november of 2021 and one thing to keep in mind and you're asking if uh, these migrants were asked their nationality uh, u.s border patrol cbp those agents uh, those are law enforcement agents you know they don't set immigration policy uh, their first and foremost mission is to protect the border and then uh, largely, and you said that wet foot, dry foot is over. It is technically, uh, but from what we have seen um, for the uh, Cubans who've been able to make it to shore, uh, they largely uh, can get to stay. Maybe it's not as automatic of a path as it was. Uh, if you're interdicted at sea, either by Coast Guard uh, or by CBP AMO, typically you're put back on a Coast Guard cutter and you're sent back. So is there, real quickly, and we're going to head to a break in a minute, but real quickly, is there, um, oh, you know what? Let's take a break right now. I'm sorry, we're kind of doing this on the fly. Um, and then we'll pick up right there when we come back. So stay tuned, everybody. Thanks. All right, we're back. We are back with our reporter roundtable, Janine Stanwood in the Keys, Hatzelvella right here in the studio. Janine, we were talking about um, in the last break whether the president's order and the new border policy would it all um, apply to people who are coming across the coastal borders? You were saying that the people there in the Keys don't think it does. So I guess the next question is, do those people manning these operations in the Keys feel like that may spur more people to take that dangerous sea voyage, knowing that it might be better to stay than if they tried at the border? That is the big question, Glenna, and some people have 
wondered that. Uh, maybe that is a question for the congressman when, when he's eventually able to connect and come on. I will tell you, I've been riding with these uh, Border Patrol and CBP agents since November of 2021. I think that was just a couple of months, Glenna, after you got back from uh, Del Rio when the surge of Haitians was coming across the land border. Things started getting busy and we thought, wow, this is really busy. Went up in the air with CBP's uh, AMO, their Air and Marine operations, uh, doing what Kevin Guthrie had mentioned, uh, another asset in the air to take a look and see if there are boats coming in. It was busy. Nothing like it is now. These agents are incredibly busy every single day. So, Hetzel, why, um, you know, in, in that kind of scenario, is, is this a deterrent of sorts, maybe? So when you talk to immigration attorneys, they believe it is because when these Cubans are coming by sea, again, they're being given these orders of deportations, means that they're going to have to fight. And he said, what I found interesting is that when you fight deportation through the asylum process, 70% get rejected. And so what he thinks will happen is... Okay, before you go on, 77 out of 10 people who apply for asylum are Denied. Yes. Okay. And so on. what he Thanks. believes will happen is because these folks, Cubans particularly, coming by raft on uh, uh, in this Florida Straits, they're going to eventually start spreading the word that if you do come, it's not just a simple arrival and then you get to stay. It is fighting to stay and possibly being deported. He thinks the message will get through. Others do not. Other things that it's going to encourage more because now they can't go by land. The only option is by sea. You know, the deterrent, Janine, um, since you've been covering all of this, since the Trump administration, a lot of the Trump administration policies were a deterrent. I mean, that migrants actually said that. Things like the family separation, things like being stopped at the border, that was a deterrent. And, you know, a lot of, especially a lot of Republicans will tell you that's why the numbers were lower during the Trump administration. Um, the people in the Keys now working that, is, do you think that they, does that jive with what you're hearing there? Sure. And I think some of that was actual policy. I think some of it is perception. And when you have so many people who are trying to get here, now we're seeing this trend. We had gone out with agents just last month uh, going to these remote islands like the Dry Tortugas, like the Marquesas. Uh, there are not as many people patrolling out there because the Dry Tortugas is 70 miles west of Key West. That is a long haul. These agents uh, can't be everywhere. The Coast Guard can't be everywhere. And so I think maybe word spreads. Hey, we are uh, coming. Uh, they're treating us well. And, and and many have told us, and we have done so many stories and spoken to so many of these migrants, they know that there are risks, they know the warnings, but many have told us that it's better to die at sea than to live in Cuba. To die at sea than to live in Cuba. Um, Hatzel Vela, you have lived in Cuba, and would you hear that as a political statement or an economic statement, a social statement, or perhaps all three? I think it's it's all three, uh, but I, for the majority of folks on the island, it's all about economics. It's all about survival. It's all about being able to feed their families day by day. In Cuba, when you live, it's a day by day experience. You're trying to find survival, you're trying to find food on a day by day basis. And that's why we're seeing the amounts of people coming to the United States because they just don't see any resolution. In fact, when you talk to Cubans on the island, they say they have lost 
hope. And when you talk about losing hope, I mean, that says a lot. And would that apply in some level to Haitians as well and to Venezuelans as well and from other countries that are racked with violence and and poverty. It applies to Venezuelans, Haitians, and Nicaraguans because we know all those three countries are, have been rocked by instability and continue to be. And so what we're going to see is the continuation of that situation. Hatzel Vela, Janine Stanwood, um, can I say how much fun it is to have you all together here with us and your insights and experience are invaluable and we're gonna do this again. You can Can't say wait. you can say yes. <laughs> let's <laughs> yes. do it. Say yes. <laughs> All right. So um, let's take a break right now, and we when we come back, uh, we really want to talk about the president's plan with Congressman Carlos Jimenez, who uh, is. Do we know if he's in D.C. or is he is he back home? It's been a, it's been quite the week for him. All right. Let's take a break, and we'll connect with him on the other side. What we have been talking about, you know it is not new. Desperate people launching for South Florida from countries in crisis, but the staggering numbers are new, as is the president's new plan to expel and return those who cross illegally. One of the president's most vocal local opponents is Florida Congressman representing South Dade and the Florida Keys. Congressman Carlos Jimenez is just back from D.C., probably within the last 12 hours, finally sworn in after that history-making drama to the Speaker of the House. The Congressman is with us on the phone with a beautiful picture instead of him live, and that's how we roll. We just do what we can. Congressman, welcome home. Congratulations on finally getting sworn in. You were a Team Kevin McCarthy from the start, so I guess you're in a good mood this morning. Um, I'm somewhat in a good mood because I just didn't think that we needed all that drama. We didn't need to have all that time. We were going to get to that point. Um, we were just as steadfast uh, in our support of Kevin McCarthy as some of the people that did not want Kevin McCarthy. And so, you know, we always had the numbers on our side. And finally, we demonstrated to, you know, the, the Matt Gates uh, and other folks that uh, we weren't going to move. And so they needed to come our way because we were 200 strong and they were less than 10 percent of the conference. And so I'm glad that we got it done. And now we need to move on uh, with the business of working for America. And so that's, well, that's where I'm at. I'm in a little bit better mood, but uh, <laughs> we did win in the end. But uh, I don't think we needed all that drama to get to where we got to. All right. Well, I'm sure there will be uh, more drama to come as Congress gets to work. But really what we want to talk about is much more local here on this program, and that is what is unfolding in, in the Keys. I, I don't know whether right. you've been able to hear some of yes. the program today. Oh, good. Okay. Yes. So I really want to zero in with you on the president's plan. Um, you and I have talked a lot. Uh, you are a big critic of President Biden. Um, and I want to just talk about the plan that he has proposed. Uh, you sit on the Homeland Security Committee, so you have sort of a, a really interesting perspective on this, what looks to be a carrot and stick approach. I mean, that was that's kind of my sort of uh, headline on it because it does smooth the way for legal immigration and it really cracks down on illegal immigration. But, but what is different? Haven't there been those laws in place already? Yes, they were, and that's why I was such a big critic of the president. Uh, look, the president kept saying that we would not give him the resources that he needed in order to stem the flow of this massive, you know, uh, illegal immigration. The fact is, on his first day in office, he um, he eliminated many of the Trump 
executive orders that have really been working. And like, you know, your, your previous segment said, you know, these, these folks go back and say, hey, you know, now it's now time to come because it's 90 percent chance you're going to be able to get through. With the Trump administration, there was a 90 percent chance you weren't going to get through. You had to remain in Mexico and you had your asylum hearing. And it's more than 70 percent were rejected. It was like 90 percent were rejected. And that that word got back to all those countries and said, hey, it doesn't matter unless you're going to sneak in. And it's really tough to sneak in because at the time, Customs and Border Protection agents weren't overwhelmed. Then, you know, it really doesn't, uh, you know, it, it's not going to really cost you your time to, to don't don't even bother because it's not going to it's not going to happen. So, so, so let me just that, uh, let's yeah. just I, I don't want to like get away from some of the things yeah. you're talking about before we can like get into those. So you're saying that the messaging is sort of the deterrent from messaging. It's almost the, the policies are what the policies are, but it's the messaging and maybe disinformation, you know, smugglers who spread disinformation. But a lot of the, the Trump era policies that were dismantled are now back. Title 42 is in place by the courts. Uh, Biden administration, Secretary Mayorkas from Homeland Security said that they are using it, begrudgingly maybe, but using it. But the, the, uh, the numbers at the border that we're seeing now um, is what this order addresses. The numbers we're seeing in your district, it does right. not. And unless you have a different read on that, I mean, what, how how does this affect your district, or does it? Uh, we haven't got the we haven't got the word back on how it affects some people coming in uh, by sea. Uh, we know that this is about uh, the southern border, but remember, Glenn, uh, the the vast majority of Haitians, Cubans, Nicaraguans, and Venezuelans that are entering the United States. They're not coming by sea. They're coming by, through the border, even the Cubans, because the Cubans have, uh, and the Haitians figured out that it was much – they had a much greater chance of crossing and making it through and actually staying here uh, by crossing through the border than they did by being interdicted, you know, in, um, you know, in the seas. And so that word got back. And so the first time I went to, uh, to the southern border, you know, I, I went into a, a holding area, one of our processing centers. And then I noticed a bunch of people there. I said, now, where are they from? And they, well, they're, they're from Haiti. And I go, they're, ha they're Haitians, really? You know, I thought at the time, I thought most of the Haitians were coming in through the, through, you know, through the water. And they said, no, we're getting thousands and thousands of Haitians. Why? Because the word got out. Gonna come through the southern border. You have a much greater chance of coming through. And that happened right on January 20th, 2021, when, uh, when President Biden changed the executive orders, eliminated all those orders, and started his new policy. Okay, Look, wait, wait, wait. So, okay, wait. Let me, yeah. let me, let me talk. Let's talk about that because we we were at the the southern border with fifteen thousand Haitians during that surge, September of twenty one. We were there. We watched that happen, and the numbers were overwhelming. I mean, we watched yes. the overwhelming numbers, but the families that were coming, families all got numbers. The process was working. Generally speaking, they waited under the international bridge. They were waiting for their turn to be processed. Nobody was, you know, bursting across the border, running into towns. They, they were actually in towns because they had been released there. But the process was working, and no, what no, we no, saw no, was no, an overwhelmed no. process. That's not no, no, what no, we no, saw. No, 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 no. That's not what happened, okay? What happened is as soon as the Biden administration changed the policy, the word got out, and then you had tens of thousands of migrants coming through the border. Why? Because the chance of staying in the United States, instead of being 10 percent, 
jump to 90% right, because that's you're being not processed. mutually exclusive. Those what I talked about and what you're talking about actually are, you know, both happening at the same time for sure. But I, I just no, want to no. I just wanted to no, get your take on the actual overwhelmed process. I mean, you know, the president isn't wrong. Congress did reject some funds for new facilities and for more asylum agents and immigration judges, but but this this system is overloaded with people. Do you, do you not agree? No, listen, Glenna, the reason that the that the system was overloaded with people is that it, the the odds changed. It, the odds changed from 90% from a 10% success rate to 90% success rate. And as soon as people understood that they had a 90% chance of getting into the United States, where they were, they were then processed into the United States and then waiting for their asylum uh, hearings inside the United States, that's what caused this mass flood of people. Because before, when they understood that they had to remain in Mexico and then be processed in Mexico, and then 10% of them would actually be allowed into the United States, that meant that really those folks that really thought that they had an asylum claim would be the ones making that trip. Now, it's not those folks that thought that they had, think that they have an asylum claim. They think, hey, I have, I have a, an issue here. I could probably get in, and I have a really good chance of getting into the United States and staying in the United States. Okay, so That's the, the reason why we had this flood. Got it. Okay, so, so now part of the president's plan is there's, there's an app now, and there's uh, Internet, and part of the plan is that these asylum seekers have to apply for asylum outside the country, in their home country or, you know, wherever they are, um, which is actually very similar to the Trump administration mandate exactly. of remain in Mexico. So do you think that will help? Yes. Yes, I do. I actually do think it helps. But, uh, you know, we, we just came about this two years too late. You know, I mean, we kept telling them, hey, all you got to do is establish remain in Mexico policy again. All you have to do is reestablish the, the Trump era policies. But anything that has the name Trump on it, with the Biden administration that say, oh, my God, this is horrible. Well, it's not horrible. It was actually working. And so they kept saying, oh, we have this border under control, and we have this border under control. And we, I went there three times. Well, you call this under control? You, you're out of your mind. And they kept lying to the American people that everything was just fine. Well, everything was not fine. And now because now it's you know two years before the election, and if they had kept these, these policies, the American people eventually would find out what the heck was really going on. And then they say, well, politically, I guess this doesn't help us anymore. We're going to have to do something different. That's why they're doing this. I guess I'm cynical. I'm telling you I am, okay? But that's why they're doing it. They, what, they knew what they were doing. They knew that their policies, when they changed them, was going to have the effect that, that it had. They wanted it. Why? I don't know. But their, their own Customs and Border Protection folks would say, hey, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. And both the secretary and the president ignored their own, their own the advice of their, I, their experts telling them what they had to do. Yeah, I think um, t to your point, this issue is so mired in politics, and that's one of the, th you know, bo on both sides, and that's one of the things yeah. that really holds up a lot of things. Before we, uh, before we run out of time, I really want to get your take on something. You, um, actually, all three Republican South Florida congressmen and women are Cuban-American, and when you heard Cuban migrants also now are going to be summarily expelled if they don't follow these legal rules, um, because the Cuban exile experience has really dictated uh, that, that Cubans had a special place, Cuban migrants had a special place in this country. Um, when you hear that and now seeing them as economic refugees unless they can prove otherwise, how, how do you hear that? What's your take on that? 
look, obviously, I, I have a, a deep, you know, sense for for the people of Cuba. I'm Cuban myself, but I believe in legal immigration, uh, and and we need to have legal immigration. What was happening at the southern border um, is just unacceptable, and so we need to have a legal process. We need to, you know, make sure that we have sufficient numbers of folks that want to get here legally that have a a valid claim to be here in the United States, have sponsors here in the United States uh, to get to the United States. So, yeah. you know, we, we need, you know, immigration is part of what makes, you know, America great, but it's legal immigration, and not on that illegal note, immigration. On that note, yeah. Congressman, got to go. So appreciate your time. Welcome home, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. <laughs> Take All right. Care. Have a good one, Plano. Great to have you aboard this hour. Have a beautiful Sunday. Stay in touch.